Hi, this is Dan. And this is Joe. And this is Enough Room. What day is it today? It's Sabbath, it's Sunday, and we're very excited about today's episode. Yes. We have another guest. Yay. Yeah. I, I think in the world of COVID and, you know, with everyone being in isolation, whenever we get to meet someone new or talk to someone new, we're like, yay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So without further ado, maybe we can introduce Andre. Andre. Yes. We've got Andre Afamasanga all the way from New Zealand. How are you doing, Andre? I'm great. I love it. Kia ora, guys. I feel so honoured um, to be here. Thanks so much for having me on. I was listening to your guys' earlier podcasts, and can I just say you guys are so smart, just so humble, and I was thinking to myself, you don't even need me on the show. Like, you guys actually <laughs> So I feel very, very honoured to uh, be on your guys' podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank Full you disclosure, much. we did not pay him to say no, that. No. <laughs> no money has been exchanged. <laughs> not yet, anyway. <laughs> but we, no, we really appreciate that, and I think um, absolutely... We are really looking forward to having your voice as part of this because um, we um, we certainly do have a lot of ideas and thoughts and things that we want to share. But um, at the same time, we think that everybody has a different story to share and, and their perspective is, is just so valuable in this conversation. Um, so thank you so much for being a part of it. Oh, pleasure. And I'm, I'm glad to share my voice because um, I can't share a singing voice, unfortunately. I <laughs> <laughs> once heard someone say, if you hear me sing, shout to the Lord, like you will cry to the Lord. So I'm in that category. <laughs> I will save the sing-along session for another time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah totally. And and I'll, I'll be on mute, trust me. <laughs> so Andre, I did a quick um, Google search of you um, just before we... Uh, logged on to this and um, I would say it's interesting how far your story has gone especially in print media mm-hmm. um, but for those who may not necessarily have heard of you or know about you could you tell us a bit about yourself please? Sure so um, I live in New Zealand I lived in Australia for 10 years where um, I was a pastor over there and before COVID I was in Australia all the time but I'm third-generation Seventh-day Adventist, grew up in a traditional, typical Adventist home, very conservative, very Samoan, um, you know, did Sabbath, all that sort of stuff from sunset to sunset. Um, but the other thing that I sort of didn't really appreciate at the time, which I absolutely appreciate now, was that I grew up in a home that was, um, I suppose, really... Uh, so my mum was one of the first Samoan social workers in New Zealand. Uh, so I suppose we had a real s- strong social justice bent in our family. We had people in our household all of the time um, that were actually my mum's clients, but I didn't know that. I thought they were my cousins. So we always had, we were always looking after people, always had people around us, and my parents were just always helping people. So even though we grew up very conservative and very religious, I look back and I we also grew up just helping a lot of people. So it actually makes sense in terms of, I suppose, the values that I've sort of um, acquired myself over the years. Yeah. I really feel like that was a nice sort of foundation um, that I learned from my parents. Yeah, so um, I eventually became, moved to Australia and eventually became a pastor um, over there. Uh, but while I was there... Um, I knew that I was gay and I had told some people, but I wasn't practicing on it. Um, And I tried to be straight, essentially. Um, 
you know, undergoing conversion therapy and really wanting to dedicate my life to God, prayer, fasting, just normal, but then also using those things to also help try to help me be straight. And then it really just got to a point where I didn't, I couldn't see myself changing after trying so hard to affect that change and I couldn't. And um, that's when I came out and that's why there's stuff on there's stuff on the internet about me because I shared my story in a in a um, newspaper column last year that was originally published in the Sydney Morning Herald, but then also was published in The Age in Melbourne, then went on to Stuff in New Zealand, and then also was published in the Samoa Observer. So um, so it did go, you know, it's fair to say that it went viral in this part of the world. Yeah. Wow, it, it certainly sounds like um, quite a traumatic experience, I guess, from um, just from knowing what it can be like to sort of be um, trying to, well, I guess, ultimately change yourself. But um, I think being in that position when you're a pastor as well, I can imagine that that must have been quite, um, quite traumatic. And stressful. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was a, it was, it was a bit of that, but I think what it also was, was kind of a nice distraction and a nice band-aid because you get to help fix other people. And um, and so sometimes in the while you're doing that, it conveniently takes the attention off yourself as well. Um, so so yes and no. That's interesting that you mention how it was sort of like a band-aid. And um, you're, you know, as you're trying to grapple with your sexuality, you seem to be very immersed in the church and helping people through that and, mm. you know, being a, a great pastor from what I've heard. Um, and I'm just sort of reflecting here on myself. When I was, you know, going through struggling with my sexuality, I was so immersed in the church. I was doing Bible studies on the weekend. I was, you know, organizing all sorts of things. Um and I see that a lot yeah. with, um, you know, uh, LGBTQ plus people in the church. Yeah. And I don't know whether this is correct, but we seem to be very involved in church, whether it's worship music, whether it's, you know, Bible studies, whether it's organizing socials. Do you think that's a way that we deal with our sexuality in, mm. in terms of, you know, struggling with, with it? Yeah. So yeah. Sort of yeah. Up for it. Yeah, I think so, but I think it's less making up for it and more that we have more time uh, on our hands to do that. <laughs> because <laughs> often if you are gay and in the church, it often means that you are not practising, so it often means that you don't have a relationship. And it also mm -hmm. means that probably... Um, you are really wanting God to change you. And so you know mm. serving and by helping that you're hoping that these, and it's not works at all, but, you know, it's what we always say, that if you put God first and, you know, as we apply that verse, yeah. seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you, that, you know, we do believe that as we immerse ourselves in the church that God has got um, a blessing for us. And so for those of us who are questioning our sexuality, um, you know, the church becomes a safe place in that regard because, um you know, because we've got we've got somewhere where we can belong, and somewhere where people aren't going to constantly just ask us why we're single. You know, all of the time. You know, yeah. because we're busy serving. Uh, but it's actually a thing. Um, can I just say, there's a book 
It's an old book now, but it's a really important book for anyone in ministry. And it's called Emotionally um, Healthy Christianity. Um, and, and basically the whole premise is this, is that unless we um, tap into, to, you know, childhood trauma, and it's written for straight people, it's not written for gay people at all, but basically it just means that there's a whole bunch of people serving in our churches, including many clergy pastors who are, are serving and they're wounded and they're really operating out of um, a lot of things that they haven't resolved yet. And I think we can cover mm. that up really quite nicely by serving God uh, because it's a nice mm. distraction to having to deal with the stuff. Um, and anyway, and there's a, a cracker line in that book that says that uh, in the church there's a lot of people who are emotionally immature uh, but spiritually passionate. And it just says that that is just the worst combination mm. in the world, you know, because you haven't resolved your emotional issues, but you've turned that into spiritual zeal. And so you are just constantly now just serving, 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 and you'll never get into the inner parts of who you are, you know, because you're getting rewarded in ministry for doing the, the good things that everyone in the church loves. Mm. Mm. So you say so you're working for the Human Rights Commission. Mm. So what was the how did you find the transition from being a church pastor to working in that environment yeah so number one i just have to say god is amazing i'm, I'm very lucky um sort of at the age of 41 which is when i stopped being a pastor to be able to make a successful and a significant career transition mm. um, out of pastoring um and i say this and i don't mean this dis dismissively but um there's a lot of pastors who, you know, I think, and people that serve in the church, that it really was good for them when they were in their 20s and their 30s. And, you know, people change and life changes and ministry is actually quite demanding, you know. And unfortunately, mm. a lot of people can get stuck into that job because that's all they can do, you know, um, yeah. or, or they're qualified for. So I'm very fortunate and I do believe it's God's leading uh, in my life that I've been able to make a career transition um, into that pastoring is really stressful. So I think uh, there's, you know, we always talk about the winning of souls and the helping of people, mm -hmm. but you're always constantly thinking about things like baptisms, tithes, church attendance, church conflict, church politics. And yeah. I have to say that stuff is really taxing, you know, so mm -hmm. in terms of one's mental health and well-being, like, you know, that that's why pastor burnout rates are so high. Um yeah. So I don't miss that <laughs> in yeah. any way. Um, but the transition has been nice. I kind of feel like when I think of human rights, I honestly feel like the world's best human rights exemplar um, is actually Jesus. I think he just embodies mm. human rights so much. And it makes me laugh when I hear particularly conservative Christians and they go, in heaven, no one we demanding human rights. And, you know, it's this kind of idea that if here on mm. earth we're demanding human rights, that we've been selfish. And I'm like, uh, no, the reason why human rights need to be explicitly demanded is because we're all, because in this world, we live in a world where people are very selfish and we've actually adopted mm. like the values of the world to the point yeah. that even if you're a Christian, even in the church, you can't be discriminated against, you know, whether it's your color, mm. whether it's your gender, whether it's your whatever. So, um, so I feel like, I feel like human rights is everything Jesus did. He was so inclusive, the way that he treated women, the way that he treated, you know, people from different ethnic groups. Um, he was just always extending, um, 
and modeling inclusivity to them. So I was just thinking back to your guys' podcast, um, season one, sorry, season two, episode one, uh, where you guys actually talk about the Canaanite woman. All of those things that Jesus does actually is his way of um, modeling um, and showing the example, uh, the hermeneutic of, of, of inclusion, social inclusion, mm-hmm. and also of loving people, you know? Yeah. And, and just on that hermeneutic of inclusion, um, we've been going through this series recently, um, and it's it's been looking at the book of Revelation. And, you know, as Adventists, we're like so big on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was interesting. One thing that the speaker was drawing out was that every time you look at, you know, in Revelation 13, Revelation 14, when John is referring to the great multitude or, you know, the, the saved, he consistently mentions all tribes, all nations, all peoples, all tribes, all nations, all peoples. So even then, the the language that is being used is one of inclusion, one of unity, one that recognizes different sets of people. So with that being said, as a former Adventist pastor and now working for the Human Rights Commission, do you feel like, you know, the commission is still the same, but you are now um, enlarging your pulpit and going further than... Um, what you would have before, I guess. Oh, absolutely in every way. I mean, I look back now and I just, I almost shudder and uh, bow my head in shame where I think my my picture of God uh, was so small, you know. Mm. I always joke and I always say, hey, Jesus was not, when I was a pastor, I'd always say Jesus was not a Seventh-day Adventist, like, you know, like he didn't come to potluck, he didn't do potluck, <laughs> you know, like he didn't wear a tie, you know, like. And so, and I think what we do without knowing it is that we absolutely impose our, hum, our humanness, our Adventism onto Jesus. And I think, you know, working at the commission just made me realize, oh my goodness, like Jesus is for all of these people, you know, like his yeah. remit the people who's come to engage with and to improve their lives is literally the whole world, you know, irrespective of all the sort of different barriers and conditions that, that we choose to lock people out. Those mean nothing to Jesus. And, um, yeah, so I think it has broadened my uh, horizons in the same way that they say that travel does for people, you know. Mm. I think this has really broadened my horizons, even in things like, you know, so... We have a disability commissioner at work and, and just learning like what life is like for different groups of people that I would never have paid, uh, unfortunately, too much mind to before because I, I was only just thinking of myself. So it's mm. very helpful in terms of um, really applying this in, not only inclusive gospel, but as you were saying, like all nations, that whole rhetoric that's in the Bible, it's, you know, it's for everyone. So... Now, you've, you've talked about how um, you used to be a pastor, you left, you came out, and now you work for the Human Rights Commission. And it sounds like that has really, as you said, just sort of expanded your view and, and has actually turned out to be a real blessing. But when you left ministry, were you, I guess, what prompted you to, to leave? Was it because you felt like you couldn't be yourself yeah. Um, yeah. And I guess respect the beliefs of the church. What, yeah, what drove you to that? Oh, Daniel, I was listening to your uh, podcast when you were saying that as you were stu- you were initially started studying theology, but then because you knew you were gay, you knew that you would never be able to practice in the church. Mm. 
And I think I just got to a point when I got to age 40 and I realised that actually going this, going the in what I believed and that was that God could make me straight and wanted to make me straight, those are the things that I believed and I believed that being gay was sinful. So uh, once I sort of worked through those, what I now call false beliefs, um, I, I started to, I was just really pragmatic and I looked at my mm. options. I go, what is there for me? Um, but to be honest, I did, I had spoken to my, you know, employers and stuff like that. And, um, yeah. and actually we just had a, a frank conversation uh, before I resigned and, um, and, you know, and, and we know like the church is allowed to have these, um, they're allowed to have these sort of unique um, sort of characteristics and beliefs whereby that if you are not adopting the church line, which is based on the interpretation of the Bible, then there really is no place for you, like as a gay yeah. you. And also I didn't want there to be anyway. I think pastoring was so stressful. I was, I was looking forward to yeah. really just having a relationship with God and doing ministry outside of that, you know, out of the, the stresses that come with that. So despite leaving um, the the ministry, um, although we, we know you haven't actually left the ministry yet. Um, so despite leaving, you know, the official role of a pastor, you haven't actually left the church. You've, you've maintained your faith. Oh, yeah, in every way. And I honestly, I'm not even joking when I say I actually read my Bible more now <laughs> mm. like than I do when I was a pastor. So I, I definitely read my Bible every day when I was a pastor, but a lot of it is part of your job, you know, and it's contextual. Yeah. But, you know, now I read it for me. Like, you know, I'm not getting yeah. paid to read it. No one is like, you know, I'm not reading it because I'm worried that if I don't read it, you know, that baptisms are going to fall or tides are going to fall. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm doing it for me. And so, you know, I'm literally at my church every Sabbath unless I'm traveling. And so I'd never, there was never a beat. Like the moment I resigned, I was in the church the following next week. I never took a break because I, I believe, you know, that the church is a powerful mechanism by which people can experience Jesus, you know, um, mm. and by which the we Christians can actually model the love of Jesus. So I, I believe in that and I still do now. Um, some are part of it, but I think what has changed for me is that um, the church is here and it's nice and it's helpful mechanism, but it's not the same as God and it's not the same as Jesus. And I think when I was a pastor, I definitely, those things were indivisible to me. They were one and the same and now they're not, you know. Mm, no, I, I think I definitely resonate with that. Yeah. When <laughs> I used to see the church and God as literally the same mm. thing. Um, and then I attended my first board meeting. Um, <laughs> but, no, <laughs> but no, yeah, I, I definitely associated the church with, you know, being the word of God, which is weird because we don't really believe that. Um, no, and, you know, we believe in a in a personal relationship with, um, with God. Yeah. Um, so I, I just find it so interesting how we get so easily into that trap of thinking that God and the yeah. church is literally the same thing. Um, Absolutely. No, Joe, I'm just saying, uh, so I was very fortunate because when I gave my life to Jesus age 25, my church at that particular time was going through a very dysfunctional phase. And I then also went onto the board shortly after I'd given my life to Jesus. And immediately I was like, oh my gosh, 
these are two different things, you know, the board <laughs> to see like, you know, you, you would just see people like, you know, model a lot of not very nice behavior. And then you'd see yeah. them back at church the next week as if nothing happened and preaching from the front. And I was like, are you joking me? Like, am I the only one that's seen this? I think I had this revelation early on. Mate, if you're going to stay in the church, you honestly just need to keep your eyes on Jesus. Unfortunately, when I became a pastor, it is so much built into you. And so then I think I became indoctrinated again in terms of the church and Jesus being indivisible where mm. before I didn't have that. Uh, but I think that's what's always kept me through and still what keeps me now still with God. It's just, you know, really ultimately knowing that they're different. When, when I, um, I actually requested to have my name removed from the church role um, when I came out and um, just because of the experiences around it. And then I heard someone say later, because I was so devastated because my family had always been Adventist and just having my name removed from the church role felt like I was removing my name from the book of life. Um, (laughs) And then then I heard someone say recently, um, because, you know, I I think I said that and that person said, oh, you might as well have your name on a sausage roll. Like there's no difference with the church role and that. And (laughs) I don't think they... I don't think they meant it, you know. Um, no, Demanding way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I feel like my journey with God and actually accepting myself began when I recognized that it was actually just about God and me and not me and the church or me and the pastor. Um, and it was through that that I gained, you know, uh, I think um, a more beautiful picture of who God is. In your transition and now being with the commission, how has your view of God, like, has it changed? Has it grown? What has that experience been like? Oh, yeah, I think it's really grown. I think I think it's really helped me to love and accept more people. Um, mm. So I, I always consider myself open-minded, loving Um and you know an accepting person and then being at the commission i just realized um that although i was all of those things was only to the point that i had allowed myself to be exposed to other things so for instance after the um, christchurch mosque attacks in 2019 where 51 people muslim people were killed uh, while they were worshipping, and many more injured. Um, so at the commission, um, I accompanied the chief commissioner uh, down to Christchurch within hours um, of the mosque shooting. And um, and then I just came into contact with a lot of the Muslim families and friends and the Muslim community at large who had been affected by the mosque attacks. And I have to say, I've never met so many amazing people I just, I, I, I would, I would be silent, and I'd be looking at them, and I just saw so much love and so much grace and so much forgiveness and so much compassion. I met young Muslim people who were just beautiful, and then I'd also hear their stories as well. I spoke to a Muslim convert, and when he was telling me about, essentially, he was telling me his testimony about how terrible his life was before. Um, before his conversion experience into Islam, and he was saying that his life was in disarray. And as he was talking, I was like, oh, my gosh, I feel like I'm speaking to a young person in my church back in Sydney Mm. or Wellington when I was a pastor. 
But I think what struck me so much was like, I don't think that I could, I don't know if I or my religion would be able to model such grace in the face of such tragedy. Other parts of my job have been involved with other religions as well, because, you know, um, you know, human rights is about a whole bunch of things and that includes the people having the right to have religious beliefs and also to practice those beliefs. So I've come into contact with other people from other faith groups. And this may sound really um, heresy to some of the people that are listening, but I've just met so many amazing people. And I was thinking to myself, I wasn't strongly Adventist. And if I didn't believe in the Bible in the way that I do, I could easily find myself just by your example, by looking at their lives and how kind and loving they were, I could absolutely see how I could open myself up to another faith system and belief just because of the mm. way that they were. Unfortunately, when I think about Christianity, I, I do think that sometimes we we don't do that as well as we should, do you know? Yeah. So sorry, just going back to the Muslim thing, I think one of the other things is I just realised that, oh, my God, I had really bought into this whole media narrative of Islamophobia because I had watched so many yeah. YouTube clips as a pastor, blah, blah, blah. And so it's embarrassing for me to say that, but as old as I was, this is only two years ago, I was getting a masterclass in terms of not judging people before knowing them. Mm. And I think that has been my experience in the job the whole way through. Um, mm. Yeah, and, and then you get to see, man, God is in all of these people. You know, I just think of James where it says, every good and perfect gift comes from above. Like, mm. God is active and ever-present in people, you know, everywhere. And any good thing that we see in the world is... Uh, has been derived from God, you know, His Spirit and love. So I think that's been eye-opening to me. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Enough Room. We'll be dropping another episode in about a week's time. So until then, follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook. Till next time. Bye.